This is Yehuda HaKohen, Brit Chazon, Vision Magazine, and you're listening to the Next Stage Podcast. I'm in New York with a good friend and old friend, John Lowe, founding president and current cadet of Legion Alpha. John, why don't you tell listeners what Legion Alpha is all about? Legion Alpha is an organization that was created approximately six years ago in response to a rising levels of anti-Semitic physical attacks in New York, uh, around the world, uh-huh. around the world. So we actually saw what was happening in uh, Europe and other places, and said it's only a matter of time before that type of uh, activity increases here in the states. Okay, so what'd you do? So we got together uh, a bunch of like-minded people uh, who'd been active in the Jewish community before, and uh, tried to figure out exactly what we thought the problem was. What was the what conditions were leading to this, and we realized that there was a uh, direct correlation between Israel's actions and then actions against Jews outside of Israel. So it, w- it appeared that uh, our enemies uh, in Europe and uh, Asia and even in the United States were holding diaspora Jews responsible for Israel's actions, um, and we know that most of the people who were viewing Israel's actions we're looking at it through a lens where they were predisposed to think negatively about Israel to begin with, but they couldn't punish the Jewish state, so they decided they were going to punish the Jewish people instead. So we stopped trying to address the issue of why people were against Israel or why they were against Jews. Uh, we didn't care. We wanted to know the answer to this question. Why did people feel so free to physically attack Jews? And we realized it was that the Jewish people outside of Israel had a complete lack of deterrence. So our goal was to restore that deterrence or implement that deterrence for the first time among diaspora Jews through a combination of uh, physical self-defense training and uh, educational uh, and skills training like first aid, active shooter response, um, legal training, etc. So we devised a nine-month program for civilians and it's not available exclusively to Jews. Uh, It's available to Jews and their friends. A nine-month program that is a brutal combination of uh, physical and uh, psychological training. And when did this begin? Uh, Like When was the first class? uh, We've been doing this so long, it's hard to remember. So we we are in our fifth year now. Okay. Um, So I believe our first class started in 2014 and graduated in 2015. Mm -hmm. We designed the program to fit into people's lives. So we didn't expect people to quit their jobs or leave school for nine months. We said, how do we design something that would work for the people who were in the room, the people who got together to create the organization? So we said, we need people to train twice a week. uh, And one of the classes is a mandatory time where everyone uh, in each chapter trains at the same time. And then cadets get to pick their second class based on their own schedule. So if you're uh, a, a stay-at-home mom, you might say, I'm going to train during the day. If you have flexibility at work, you train during the day. Some people train their second class on the weekends. So we decided to also add four Sunday sessions where people train the entire day. So it was designed for busy people. It was designed to accommodate their, their schedules. And part of that is sticking to a school calendar. So our programs begin when uh, school starts uh, which is in the or early fall, and they end uh, in May, June. Uh, and people, uh, half the people take off for the summer, and they come back and start training again in the fall. 
Okay, and this began in New York City? Began in New York City with one chapter in Manhattan. Okay. And we sought out uh, uh, martial arts schools that uh, saw the world in a similar way and were willing to work with us on pricing because Legion doesn't do the training. Legion makes it possible for people to train uh, at, at martial arts gyms uh, for a reasonable price. So uh, in Manhattan, uh, people actually have uh, been learning uh, Krav Maga. So uh, that was our first chapter. Uh, we expanded then to uh, Brooklyn and uh, one chapter in uh, Oceanside, Long Island. And uh, then we added uh, the following year uh, another location on Long Island in Great Neck, New York. And we added Hartford, Connecticut. So um, this year we added Westchester. So uh, we're a nonprofit. Uh, we're mo- most of the funding comes from people actual actually who have completed the training. Mm-hmm. So our, we're looking to become one of the first self-sufficient nonprofits uh, in the Jewish community, not relying on outside donors. So as our al- alumni base grows, so does our donor base, and uh, we have had discussions with interest groups from around the country. And uh, some of them have asked us, you know, can you please bring Legion to our city? And we say, we're absolutely happy to, but you need to lead the charge. And they say, we don't understand. And we say, well, the fundamental lesson that we're trying to teach is that Jews cannot look to anyone else to defend them, including other Jews. Jews need to know uh, how to defend themselves and their own families. So the idea of having a bunch of people from New York leave their families to come protect a bunch of Jews in California is uh, illogical, impractical, and uh, frankly insulting. So if people in California are worried about rising anti-Semitism, they should get their asses into the gym and train and become, become comfortable with violence. And we will give them a blueprint for that. We will send people to support them. But the bulk of the recruiting and the bulk of the funding has to come from that local city. And you don't, as of now, have a chapter in California? No, not yet. We do have people who are interested in starting chapters there in different parts of California. I think um, it's a little bit harder for them because of uh, the politics in California versus the East Coast. Um, a little bit more liberal. Uh, and I think that uh, many of the Jews in California, uh, not all, but many of them have been insulated from most of the attacks on Jews. People in New York, I think, are a little more familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And do you think that people's politics play a role here? Do you find that the Jews who get involved with Legion have one set of political beliefs that they subscribe to? or so Is we, it we homogenous? Thought, we thought that that would be the case. Uh, but what we have seen is that we have a healthy mix of Democrats, Republicans, and Independents. We have a healthy mix of conservatives and liberals. Uh, we have pretty much everybody represented in the classes. I would say that... Uh, um, probably there's a, a higher percentage of people who would consider themselves conservative uh, probably because conservative people uh, generally uh, place a greater emphasis on security uh, than liberal people where you know my personal belief is that conservatives and liberals need each other um, the conservatives need the liberals to tell us all how the world should be And conservatives have to tell everybody in the liberals, well, that's great, but this is how it can be uh, under realistic terms. So, But um, we don't talk politics. There, there's no discussion anywhere about who people should vote for. Uh, we don't talk about politics anywhere in the world. Um, we don't talk about religion 
We talk about the history of the Jewish people and the need for the Jewish people to, uh, outside of Israel to restore deterrence. There is an educational component. There is like a mental component to this. There is. So uh, we have uh, a few uh, slogans. One is, uh, from strength comes freedom. And the other is, uh, we are the book and the sword. And if you look at our logo, it is a book and a sword uh, built into a shield. And if you don't know the history of your people, um, you are lost. So uh, one of the reasons that diaspora Jews view the world the way they do is because they've really, for the most part, only been uh, educated on Jewish losses, uh, Jewish defeats, Jewish tragedies, um, and not enough emphasis has been placed on great Jewish victories like the Maccabean Revolt uh, and um, the Six-Day War, uh, you name it. There are so many things where Jews have defied the odds and have uh, uh, had victories, physical victories, um, and... There, uh, there's not enough emphasis placed on that. So, I mean, you can look back and, and look at, uh, you know, the works of Josephus and uh, how that had to be edited so that he wasn't uh, beheaded by the Romans after Masada. And I believe at one point the book of the Maccabees was once uh, pushed out of the center of our learning, I think, to discourage Jews from uh, taking up arms or learning how to defend themselves. Right. After Jerusalem was destroyed by Rome, we basically had... We had a situation where the Roman Empire was deciding whether or not they're going to punish all the Jews in the empire. And the reaction of, I think, both Josephus and the rabbis at the time was to de-emphasize militancy mm. within Jewish life and to try and separate the mainstream Jews from those who actually fought the empire in order to say they're not us, there's no reason to punish all of us right. for what they had done. Uh, whereas that, that wasn't the case. Even Josephus admits elsewhere that the zealot philosophy was the most popular philosophy in Judea at the time. Right, right. So those, for all practical reasons, and certainly I'm not blaming anyone in history for doing what they did. I wasn't there. I don't know all the things they had to take into consideration. But we are living in a world now where roughly half the Jewish population, population lives in Israel. And if you, look at, if you look at the history of the Jewish people, um, you know, you can take some uh, teachings from psychology, where as a people, we are a traumatized people. Yeah. We've had trauma after trauma after trauma. Which is passed down through epigenetics, like, yes. meaning that we inherit trauma, yes. especially Ashkenazim. Yes. So, and uh, roughly half the population of Jews now living in Israel, most of, those, most of those Jews have been rehabilitated by the real world. So they are required to serve in the armed forces. And uh, it's a very simple question. Uh, do you want to die or not? If you don't want to die, aim your gun in that direction and pull the trigger. So you learn that there's really, in some cases, there is no choice but to resort to violence when violence is brought upon you. In the rest of the world, the Jews really were not rehabilitated because they went from uh, the last tragedy of the, the Holocaust in Europe uh, to uh, fleeing that area and uh, not being forced many of the people to deal with violence. Uh, therefore, it was not part of the curriculum of Jewish day schools and Hebrew schools around America. Um, people kind of hoped and prayed that the violence was uh, over and that uh, the humanity had evolved, civilization had evolved, and it could never happen again. And let's not do anything to provoke our kind hosts. So, right. Jews in the United States behave like they're on probation. Many of them do, and uh, I think that the Jewish community in America missed an opportunity 
to prepare its next generation for the same types of things that Jews throughout history have had to deal with. So um, there, I'm not, I was born in New York. I've lived in New York my whole life. I'm an American Jew. Uh, I'm not one of those people who believes there's going to be another Holocaust, right? It's, uh, I don't believe that things repeat themselves exactly the same way uh, always. But I do believe that with the changing demographics in America, um, that the Jews have failed to prepare the next generation for dealing with the rest of the population. So like in many places throughout our history, the Jews have had a successful run in America. Uh, we are disproportionately represented on every list of success, whether it's a financial success or academic success. So, Well, that's also the, part of how anti-Semitism works. We could be very easily scapegoated if something goes wrong. Right. So, so the Jews who claim that we are the smartest people in the world, in a way, maybe we're the dumbest people in the world because we can look back at uh, 400 cycles of this and we keep falling into the same trap. So some Jews who might be self-hating would say, well, then maybe we shouldn't be as successful as we are. We should tone it down. No, I don't believe that. I believe if you're going to continue being successful in the diaspora, you have to couple that with the ability to cope with and dish out violence to defend that success. You cannot have one without the other. So um, if you want to not know how to defend yourself and rely on a Jewish army, move to Israel. If you want to be successful... In but Europe, in which case, you're going to send your kids to that army, meaning you're going to be investing in that army as well. You're going to be contributing to that army right. as well. And by the way, after your army service in Israel, you can become uh, a peacenik and say, you know, I just want to hug everybody, and that's the beauty of a free country. And you'll still report for duty when the military needs you. But in America, um, there are Jews who are growing up in bubbles who are not interacting with anyone but other Jews. And after, you know, a hundred years of being in this country in mass, many Jews still don't understand the rest of the population. Um, I myself and there are other Jews like me grew up in a population that was not primarily Jewish. Mm -hmm. You didn't uh, come from a bubble. I'm sorry? I did, I did not grow up in a you, bubble. You came from real America. Uh, well, Or yeah, New York, so at least. I grew, up, I grew up in the suburbs of New York in a town that happens to not have a lot of Jews. And I've had jobs like construction and maintenance, and now I'm fortunate... Uh, to be an attorney, uh, but um, I'll never forget my experiences growing up and having to clean up garbage and clean toilets and rip down buildings. Um, and uh, I have spent enough time continually over the last 35 years uh, with people from every background. And uh, the, the, the Jewish leadership in America uh, has too much distance between them and the streets of America. So I think it's only natural that the longer you're separated from a population, the less able you are to relate to it, and the less able you are to pick up the signals. Right, so, to read the room, essentially. Read the room. America, over the last 10 years, has become a more violent and hard place. We have 20 years of, of war. So a big percentage of our population um, has served, uh, well, I think it's something like uh, 3 or 4% of the entire country has actually been deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan over the last 20 years. That's a huge number of people who've been hardened. Now, that coincides with the amazing growth and popularity of sports like MMA. So the level of violence that people are consuming everywhere is going up. The level of violence on the streets of big cities uh, is palpable. And while violent crimes uh, may be down in different parts of the country, 
um, the level of low-level violence is going up and is palpable. If you look at the statistics, as you probably know and many of your listeners know, uh, Jews are three times more likely than anyone else in America to be the victim of a hate crime. So if you were the group who was most often victimized, I don't care whether it's because you were Jewish or because you had blue hair. If I had blue hair, if I had any hair, and it happened to be blue, um, if I saw on the news every day people with blue hair have three times the likelihood to be hit by falling debris, I would wear a hard hat. So if Jews can't wake up and see that they have three times more chance of being the victim of a hate crime than anyone else, if they don't take three times more preparatory action, then we're morons. You know, your statistics are a little counterintuitive, you know, because when we look at the United States today, for me, I grew up in New York City. When I come and see New York, I see a much softer place than I grew up in. You know, I grew up in like pre-Juliana, New York. Today, New York City is like all drugstores and banks in every block. You know, you don't see kids on the corner drinking 40s like back in the day. The parks are closed at night. All the playgrounds are locked at night. You just don't see the same subcultures for teenagers that existed when I was a teenager, number one. And number two, I think when we live in other parts of the world, like I live in Israel, I live in the Middle East, we look at the United States, at least through the lens of the media, we see a much softer culture. We see... America becoming even more decadent, more indulgent, softer than it used to be. So what you're saying is a little surprising that it's becoming a harder place. You know, and it makes sense that, yes, you know, X percentage of Americans have been to war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And um, what was the other statistic you said? With Jews being three times more likely than the rest well, no, of the that, population. Well, no, that makes sense for or sure. three to four percent of the population right. being deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. But I think there may be a, a different way to explain it. So okay. America is becoming a harder place because of its complete callousness towards violence. Mm-hmm. So, which is now you have uh, violence against Jews on the rise. You have, um, according to law enforcement, you do have increased uh, white supremacist activity. Although I do not see that as the primary threat to Jews. You don't. Um, no. What so about the people shooting you, up synagogues? You and- see. Uh, I think that's um, a majority of the attacks against Jews in America are not being perpetrated by uh, white people. Right, so, but white nationalists have an ideology that they throw behind their attacks. And it's a deep ideology. Uh, and uh, the Nation of Islam also has its sure, own ideology, sure. which is playing itself out on a daily, on mm-hmm. almost daily basis in Brooklyn, New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that the white nationalist movement is something that uh, I don't think that that is what is affecting the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, if um, I, I am not a uh, political expert. Uh, my guess is that uh, if I had to guess um, more uh, people who would be identified by the government as white nationalists are more likely to be Republicans than they are Democrats. If at uh, all, if, it, if it, even choosing between those options. Right. So, But that's my guess. Again, I'm not a political scientist. I don't have the data. Um, and that's white nationalists are not what's driving uh, the anti-Jewish and anti-Israel ideology of the Democratic Party. No, for sure not. I don't think they have any connection to the Democratic so, Party. So I do think that we're, we're a harder, more callous society that has a greater tolerance for violence. And that is what's playing out on the streets of New York with physical attacks on Jews and almost zero media response. So people are saying they're, they're, uh, the average person is watching uh, videos of a physical attack somewhere and uh, what stood out, let's say, 30 years ago as something that was just disgusting or, 
you know, that type of violence is unacceptable. People's social media feeds are filled with, you know, the best street knockouts, brawls at uh, Popeye's Chicken over the new chicken sandwich, fighting in the stores uh, over Black Friday, right? So you have this kind of systemic, if not glorification, but tolerance for behavior where it doesn't even make the news anymore. So there are some shootings uh, that are happening, you know, they call them mass shootings. Um, I've heard them referred to as mass murder. Uh, mass murders are happening and not making the news because it's so commonplace. So there's something going on with the psyche of America and the only ones seemingly who are not becoming better prepared for violence is the group of people who throughout history have been the most likely to be on the receiving end of that violence. Mm-hmm. And you're changing that. Meaning We're you're trying working. to. We're right. trying to. That's Me the point and, of Legion. You know, lots of other leaders and, you know, just to be clear, uh, I am the founder of the organization, but there are many other people who helped create the organization and I'm no longer the president after five years of uh, 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 managing uh, Jews and uh, another 10 years of managing uh, Fuel for Truth at its, at its founding. Um, it's time for new leadership. Uh, I needed there to be new leadership and the organization needs new leadership. I think... A lot of Jewish organizations stagnate because the same leader uh, tries to hold on and use that organization to implement their will, and it becomes an organization to serve that person and to follow that person's vision. But the only way that the Jewish people uh, will prosper uh, is if this mentality of self-reliance is um, spread throughout the country, and it can't be done with one person as a figurehead. It has to be a grassroots movement where multiple people are coming to the same simple realization. And uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to share a, a story uh, that was very formative in my views of how Jews uh, relate to the rest of the population. Uh, when I was about 22 years old, I was uh, riding on uh, public transit, leaving Manhattan, going out to Long Island. And uh, for those of you who've ever lived on Long Island or New York, uh, you can imagine what the 2 a.m. trains are on a Saturday night leaving Manhattan, uh, filled with lots of drunk people, uh, all having had a good time. And I still to this day do not know why. uh, On my way home, I was reading a book about the Holocaust. I don't know what kind of a sick bastard reads a book about the Holocaust after a night of drinking, but that was me. So a uh, person was sitting across from me and uh, looking at me, and he was about uh, 55 years old, giant, giant, red-faced Irishman um, who was obviously drunk, and he goes, hey, I got a question for you. And uh, he says, uh, why did your people go so easily to the ovens? Now, everyone on the train is now looking at us and saying, what the hell is going on over there? And like lots of other Jews, I came up with all sorts of reasons. I said, hey, it wasn't that simple. You know, you're at your house, a uh, platoon shows up, and uh, they've got automatic weapons, and they've got tanks supporting them. What are you supposed to do? You hope to live and fight another day. Uh, He said, no. He said, you never let them take your kids. You never leave your house. You fight to the death right there. And I was, and obviously I didn't have kids at the time, so I was a little bit confused. I was like, okay. And then things kind of slow down, and then he says, I got another question for you. Now everyone is anxiously awaiting this guy's question. He says, uh, what, before I retired from the police force, I worked in the pistol, pistol section. And he said, how come Jews don't own guns? And I said, I don't know. And I started to think back to my own childhood, and I realized that every one of my friends that I grew up with had a gun in the house. 
And it wasn't like all their parents were cops. Some of them were, but there were cops, firemen, contractors, mechanics. Everyone had a gun except my house. And I said, I don't know why. And he said, I would think you people would have the most guns. And it shocked me and it made me realize, how could this guy see the world so clearly and all of us so-called chosen smart people couldn't? So we're living in a country where it's part of our right is to protect ourselves with weapons. Now, why would we as Jews not be at least as well-armed as everybody else? We don't need to be stockpiling shoulder-fired missiles. We don't need to be training in the streets every day. But shouldn't we learn and just take appropriate measures? Basic self-defense. Basic self-defense. Basic firearms use. There are 400 million guns in circulation in America. So when people ask me, is your goal to have the most guns? And I say, no, it's just not to have the least. So as long as everyone else is armed in the room, I want to be armed. As long as everyone else in America is armed, I want to be armed also. If it turns out that people with blue hair are much more likely to be victims of violence, everybody with blue hair should arm themselves too. People in Israel would probably say, absolutely, how could you not have a firearm? But diaspora Jews have been convinced. And, and the line that, that uh, I was once interviewed, um, I'm not going to say the name of the media outlet, uh, but the media outlet said, um, you know, why do you believe Jews should own guns? I said, well, why don't you think? Because it sounds like you don't think Jews should own guns. I said, why don't you own a gun? Was this a Jewish media outlet? No, this was a, a mainstream media outlet. The person was a, the person okay. interviewing me was Jewish. And uh, I, asked, I said, can I ask you a question? I said, do you have a child? He said, yeah, we just had a child. And I said, okay, so why do you think people shouldn't own guns? And he said, well, I feel like if someone came to my house to hurt me and my family, if I tried to use a gun to protect myself, it would only make them more angry. Okay. And I said, um, you may want to cut tape here. I said, but... I think you're mentally ill. I said, I think you have a problem here. I said, if you're worried about antagonizing your attacker by defending yourself, then you have an unbelievable victim mentality. There may be no hope for you. I said, do you think you're going to be okay when you go home and talk to your wife and say, my plan for dealing with an attacker is just to let them attack us? Do you think that she will feel like she chose the right partner to defend that child? Do you think... Um, and I said to the person, I said, what if you had one hour's notice that people were coming to your house to hurt you? So, which doesn't happen in real life, right? You have no notice. But let's say there was three people in the neighborhood and they're like, we don't like this guy. We're coming to your house in an hour. I would call the police. Let's assume the police are dealing with 10 other people whose houses are being attacked. You have one hour notice. What would you do? He had no answer. So I said, you had a child? And you have no plan for how to defend your family? I said, that's a little irresponsible, don't you think? It sounds like you're still someone's child. I said, you need to know how to defend your family from realistic outcomes. Not from a meteor, not from an invasion by a 10 million person army, but for violence in a society. Uh, this person proceeded to have a nervous breakdown, stopped the interview, and sat in the corner with his head in his hands and then said, can you please give me some suggestions on how I could better prepare myself to defend my family? You know what? That's shocking. His response is shocking because when you're telling this story, my assumption is simply that this is a person 
who is psychologically living in a world where those violent things don't happen anymore. Like right. once upon a time they happen, they don't happen right. anymore. We've evolved. Right. Humanity has evolved. Right. This is the United States of America. We don't have to worry about the things we have to right. worry about in Poland or, or the well, Ukraine or any of these other places. Well, the fact that he responded to you yes. with honesty and introspection is very impressive. Well, I think if you make it about if you, you personalize it, it and if you personalize it and also if you take away the Jewish aspect, right? Because Jews when they hear like something about Jews being persecuted, you know, that they, they're been inundated with Jewish persecution and victimhood. So they kind of shut off. So what I do is I say, well, were you here during Hurricane Sandy? Um, when I lived through Hurricane Sandy, um, the military was patrolling in my town because there were looters. So there was a destabilizing event, uh, a blackout, another blackout, destabilizing event, 9-11, destabilizing event. So during times of instability, that's when the small percentage of the population who hates another group takes advantage of the instability and attacks that group. So, Especially if that group is perceived to both have wealth and be weak and defenseless. Right. So they're already... So if, if people say, you know, oh, this person doesn't like Jews, I say, I don't give a shit. It's a free country. They're free to not like Jews. The combination of not liking Jews and believing that the Jews have no ability to defend themselves... And have something the, I want. That's, yes, all those things lead to danger. So when I say to people, well, let's assume there's nothing to do with Judaism. Let's assume there's a, a, a cyber attack uh, and it leads to power outage for a month. What will you do to keep other people from taking food from your child? And they have no plan and they start to realize like, okay, maybe I should take some steps. And they say, well, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to hoard, you know, 10,000, you know, cans of food and join the army? And I say, well, now it sounds like you're mocking me. I said, does it look like I joined the army? I run a business, I have a family, it's take appropriate measures. And that's kind of the theme, and I've said it earlier you know, in this interview, take appropriate measures. Who determines what's appropriate? You do. Mm-hmm. And if you have you know, common sense, you will determine, okay, there are fires in houses, so I'm going to have a fire alarm, a smoke detector, and a fire extinguisher. I'm not going to train every day in mock fire situations and scare the shit out of my family. I'm not going to wake my kids up every night at four in the morning going, fire, get the hell out of here. I'm going to say, you know what? Let me invest a hundred bucks in securing my family. Why do you have car insurance? One, because you're required to have it in America. And two, because you might get into an accident. So you have all these insurances and all these things you plan on that are very likely to have ha- to happen. How many Jews do you know uh, in the New York area, who've been the victim of an injury from a fire. Not that many over the last couple of years, but how many Jews do you know in New York who've been the victim of anti-Semitic violence? More than that. So maybe people should invest a hundred bucks, the same amount they would invest in fire safety. How about physical safety? So, you know, one of the challenges is that the Jews in uh, Borough Park, many of whom are outwardly recognizable as Jews, are wearing the uniform of our people. And I think that the rest of the world, especially the rest of America, is looking to see how those Jews will respond. And there are people rooting for us. There are people saying, stand up for yourself and be right there with you. But we're not going to fight your battles for you. So um, I think that there are people who are also our enemies looking to see how Jews are responding. And they're being emboldened by a seeming... Lack of response. There might even be people who haven't decided yet if there are enemies. 
and based on what they perceive our response to be, we'll make a decision whether we're worth allying with or not. That's a very good point. That's the undecided. Are waiting to see what we do. Now, there is a tremendous advantage that the Jews of America have versus the Jews of any other nation in, in the past, aside from ancient land of Israel. So for a couple thousand years, we've been the other. We've been, you know, the... The diaspora Jew, who for some people, we were the people who killed their God. For some people, we just looked different. We prayed different. We had a different language. Uh, We controlled all the money in their minds. We had all these things that, you know, everyone had justification for why uh, why they didn't like us. And it wasn't everybody in every population. It was a small, it was a percentage of every population where we've lived who've had animosity towards us. And then the neutral people, uh, in many cases, allowed bad things to happen to us, and we didn't take appropriate measures. But there's a difference. In Germany, it was the German Christians and the Jews. In Poland, it was the Polish Catholics and the Jews. In Czech Republic, it was the or Czechoslovakia, it was the Czechs and the Jews. It was always one large group and us as the minority. Uh, of course, there were other minorities there, but it was a much more homogenous population. So we have about 6 million Jews in America. We have Jews serving in the military. We have Jews who are successful in business. We have Jews who have been elected to Congress and Senate and uh, have even run for higher office than that. So if we can't figure out how to make it work here in a nation of immigrants where there is no singular other, then we're not going to be able to make it work anywhere. So if I were a diaspora Jew living anywhere in the world or even Jews in Israel, I'd be doing whatever they could to help wake up the American Jewish population uh, because the future of the Jews living outside of Israel will be decided here in the United States. It's interesting to me how you see the United States and you don't see one dominant group here and like others as marginalized. And if if I were to boil your message down, uh, because I mean what we're really talking about, we're not really speaking about like American power structures and uh, marginalized groups. We're mm-hmm. speaking about the Jewish people as a minority population here. We're living in a world of social Darwinism. We're living in a world, the, the world, the, the laws of reality in the world that we live in is survival of the fittest, even if the Jewish people have a historic mission to elevate humanity beyond that, right now we're still living in that social Darwinist stew, and we have to be as strong and as dangerous as everybody else if we want to be able to survive and have an impact. Yes, ab- absolutely. Um, we as humans have not evolved that much since the dawn of Homo sapiens. Uh, we are still fighting over resources and still throwing shit at each other. We just now have much more powerful weapons to throw stuff <laughs> at each other. So instead of throwing a rock at each other, we're throwing uh, uh, 9mm and 45 caliber uh, pieces of metal at each other really fast. Um, and there is still uh, a battle over resources. It's either uh, money, food, medicine, water, um, education, freedom, uh, whatever you consider a valuable resource. And people avoid what they perceive as danger. This is a fundamental basis for every living thing down to an amoeba. Uh, it gravitates away from danger and towards uh, resources. So if uh, any animal on earth senses danger, it goes in the other direction. Um, And what we have to realize is that uh, Jews need to 
create the same deterrence as every other living thing on earth and every other human thing on earth. Uh, and as much as some Jews would like to believe that uh, we can achieve the same goals through you know, having people empathize with our history, uh, building Holocaust museums, um, certainly uh, the 742 Holocaust museums around the world have done a good job at making people aware of history. There's no doubt. However, I'm not certain uh, what the number is, if any, of the people who've been to those museums who've changed the course of their lives and how they uh, will actually interact with Jewish people. So, right. And those it, museums aren't a deterrence. They are certainly not a deterrence. Um, and I would like someone, maybe someone you know, who's listening today, could give me examples where um, a, uh, uh, you know, a good hug uh, deterred an aggressor. Um, I, I'm not aware of it in history. Uh, certainly, I don't think uh, Adolf Hitler would have been uh, dissuaded by uh, Jews talking about their previous uh, um, tragedies experiences. I think that humans are like every other animal. Give them a reason to fear for their own safety, and they will not attack you. Mm-hmm. That's very well said. All right, John Lowe, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Where can people learn more about Legion Alpha? Is there a website? Yes, uh, people can visit legionalpha.com and uh, they can learn more about what we're doing and they can also uh, request an application. Uh, And um, as I mentioned, our program starts up uh, in the fall, but it's not an easy process to be admitted into our program. So anybody listening today, go to that website, get the process started now. It's legionalpha.com. Dot com and uh, you'll be treated to a life-changing experience if you can make it through. And you'll also be exposed to some of the uh, greatest uh, leaders in the Jewish community who are running the organization now. Great. All right. This is Yudah HaKohen, Brit Chazon, Vision Magazine. And you can check out the show notes at visionmag.org backslash the next stage one six. Thank you, Yudah. Thanks, everyone, for listening.